Assalamualaikum, everyone. Welcome to our virtual Open of Dark 2021, and thank you so much for joining us today. My name's Farah, and I will be your host for this evening. We have an absolutely exciting event planned for this evening, um, which speaks from the Faith and Belief Forum. And before we get started, I want to first thank our media partner for this year, Islam Channel, and to give a special welcome to those joining us from Islam Channel's Facebook and YouTube. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to have you with us. And if you are watching from Facebook and YouTube, we'd be really happy for you to join in, to jump on the Zoom at ramadantentproject.com. Join in the conversation, post your comments, post your questions. It'll be great to hear from you. I also especially want to thank the Arts Council UK, whose help has allowed us to continue our work with Ramadan, all of which is available on our website. And our work with Ramadan is supported by Islamic Relief, our charity partner. And you can check out the incredible work that Islamic Relief does at iruk.co forward slash rtp. A little, a little overview of the Faith and Belief Forum. And then following that, I'll introduce you to our first speaker today, who's going to be Rachel Cohn. So the Faith and Belief Forum uh, works towards a connected and supportive society where people of different faiths, beliefs and cultures have a strong, productive and lasting relationship. They were founded in 1997 as the Three Faiths Forum, became Faith and Belief Forum in 2018. They create spaces in schools and universities and the wider community where people can engage with questions of belief and identity and meet uh, people different from themselves. Our, um, their programs also enable people from different backgrounds, both religious and non-religious, to learn from each other and work together. Today's topic is going to be about faith in no faith spaces. Um, we're going to start off with um, Rachel. So. Each of our speakers will be having Rachel and Jonathan and Jane join, join us today. So a quick intro to Rachel. Uh, Rachel is an educator and dialogue facilitator from Toronto, Canada, where she drew, grew up deeply embedded in the Jewish community. Rachel holds a BA in Peace, Conflict and Justice Studies from the University of Toronto and an MSc Conflict Studies from the London School of Economics and Political Science. The focus of her academic and practical work has been using dialogue to advance uh, into communal re uh, reconciliation. And uh, Rachel has been involved in multiple peace building initiatives between Israelis and Palestinians, as well as Jews and Muslims. Rachel now lives in London and works on um, Parliamenters, which is an interfaith political leadership program and is a proud member of the Faith and Belief Forum. So over to you, Rachel. Thank you so much, Vera. Um, good evening, everyone, and Ramadan Mubarak. Um, I'm so happy to be here with you tonight, so thank you very much for having me. Um, as was said, my name is Rachel, and I work at the Faith and Belief Forum, um, so I'll just go a bit more into detail about what we do at the Faith and Belief Forum, um, and then I'll be very happy to pass on to our wonderful speakers, uh, Jonathan and Zane. So, um, yeah, the Faith and Belief Forum, as was said, was founded in 1997 by three faith leaders, a Christian, a Muslim, and a Jew. Um, and now we work every year with over 20,000 people um, in schools, universities, local communities, and workplaces, uh, bringing people together who would not normally meet um, and giving them the opportunity to learn from one another through dialogue instead of debate. So I'll just go into a bit of detail about what we do in schools, universities, and in local communities. So one of our main programs is school linking. Um, and through school linking, we bring to, uh, both primary and secondary students uh, from different cultural or faith backgrounds to together explore issues of identity, community, and belief. Another thing that we do in schools is run workshops. Um, and one of our workshops is called uh, Encountering Faith and Beliefs. And actually, the stories that you're going to hear later today from Jonathan and Zane are adapted stories that they usually tell in these Encountering Faith and Belief workshops. Um, so through these workshops, uh, we have volunteer speakers who come from a diversity of faith and belief backgrounds. Uh, they go into schools, share their personal stories, and then students have the opportunity to have dialogue with them and ask them questions about why they believe, what they believe and why they believe that. Um, so these workshops really go beyond stereotypes and generalizations and hone in on the personal stories that our speakers have to tell. Um, we've also recently created an online resource that is a collection of these stories, um, and it's designed for students in key stages two and three, and it's available on our website. Um, and now on to the work that we do in universities. So since 2007, uh, we've been, been running a UN award-winning program called Parliamentors. 
Um, so Parliamentors takes place in nine universities all around the country um, and takes five students from each university who come from a, a diversity of backgrounds and matches them up with an MP who mentors them throughout the year as they collaborate on a social action project. Um, so they're in, inspired to make local change in their communities while being mentored by an MP. Um, and this has been going on for a long time and our, the alumni of the program have gone on to do really incredible work. And then last but not least, our community work. Um, so our community work goes right to the heart of faith communities. Um, we hold annual awards that shine a light on local heroes that are doing inspirational work. And we have also recently completed a series of community dialogue projects in London and the West Midlands. Um, so in the midst of the pandemic, uh, we brought faith communities that live side by side, but who don't often interact even in normal times. Um, and we set up dialogue sessions where they could get to know each other, get to know each other's beliefs, and also to discuss the different experiences that they have living in the same exact local area. So that was a really incredible project that actually just we just wrapped up. Um, so that's just a little taste of what we do at the Faith and Belief Forum. Um, I'm really excited to hand over to Jonathan next. I just first want to set a safe space um, and to uh, say a brief word about how we tend to go about our work and make sure that we everyone can have a positive experience um, where we talk about challenging topics in a sort of sensitive way. So the first thing um, I would just like to encourage a spirit of curiosity, openness and respect. Um, so, of course, the session is really just about trying to understand our speakers, their beliefs and their stories. Um, so please try to bear this in mind when later on you have an opportunity to ask them questions. And the second thing is to just remember that our speakers are only really representing themselves. Uh, they're not ambassadors or representatives of their faith communities. Um, so they will try to answer your questions to the best of their ability, but they may or may not be um, experts on every single aspect of a holy text or a certain practice. So just that's another thing, please, to bear in mind when you're asking questions later. So that's all for me. Um, thank you again so much for having us. Um, my colleague is going to put our social media handles in the chat, um, and we would love for you to get involved with our work at the Faith and Belief Forum. Uh, thanks again for listening. And I will now hand off to Jonathan, who's gonna tell you his story. Thank you so much, thank you, Rachel, um, for giving us that overview of um, the, the incredible work that you do. And you can check out the links in the Zoom in the chat and how to connect with the Faith and Belief Forum. And um, before we um, go over to Jonathan, I'm going to give you a brief introduction about who Jonathan is. So um, Jonathan Mace is a school speaker from the Faith and Beliefs Forum's Encountering Faith and Beliefs program. Um, straight after his A-levels, Jonathan spent two years as a missionary in Chile for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And he picked up an incredible amount of Spanish along the way as well. And um, Jonathan has completed a BSc in Business Management from the University of Birmingham. Jonathan also has a postgraduate certificate in arts fundraising and leadership from the University of Leeds. He is currently working as a chartered accountant at Grant Thornton, pivoting his career after three years as a theatre fundraiser at the Royal Shakespeare Company and later Hampstead Theatre. Jonathan also has a postgraduate certificate um, in this arts fundraising and he's also is um, heavily involved in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in a voluntary capacity and currently has responsibilities that support families in his local congregation. And um, so thank you so much, Jonathan, over to you. Great, thank you so much, Farah. Um, so yeah, as Farah said, my name is Jonathan Mace and I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So that means I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I believe the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is led directly by Jesus Christ and is a restoration of the same church that he established when he was physically on the earth. There are over 16.5 million members of the church around the world, with 188,000 of them in the UK attending 320 congregations. So just like Christ's called apostles, um, you might have heard of Peter, James and John, I believe in living prophets today and apostles who communicate with Jesus Christ and then they share his messages with the world and with the church. And I also believe in ancient prophets such as Noah, Moses, Abraham, etc., um, many of whom are shared across multiple faiths. And I believe the words that they wrote in the Bible to be the word of God as far as it has been translated correctly. 
I also believe in a book of scripture called the Book of Mormon, which was written by ancient prophets in the Americas between 600 BC and 400 AD. I believe that a prophet called Joseph Smith was guided to this record in the 1820s and translated it into English by the power of God. I therefore believe that the Book of Mormon is more words of God, which we can follow to find true happiness. You might have heard members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints referred to as Mormons, the name of the prophet compiler of the Book of Mormon. It's not a term that we actively use anymore, preferring to emphasize the name of Jesus Christ in the name of the church, rather than following one particular prophet. Ultimately, I believe Christ's teachings and those of ancient and modern prophets are there to guide us on a path to go back and live with our Heavenly Father in everlasting joy with our families. So how did I acquire these beliefs? Well, I was raised in a home where both of my parents were of this same faith, and so I was taught doctrine and principles from a young age. In order to achieve this goal of eternal families living together in joy and happiness, I was taught codes of conduct which helped me to obey what I believe are God's commandments. These include key beliefs like the law of tithing. So that means giving 10% of all of my income to God and the church. The word of wisdom, meaning to live a healthy lifestyle and include that includes avoiding alcohol, cigarettes, drugs, and tea and coffee. And also the law of chastity, meaning having no sexual relationships before marriage. Growing up, I readily accepted the doctrine, principles, and behavioral norms of my religion and found that they actually really made me happy <laughs> rather than being unnecessary restrictions in my life. For example, if I wasn't drinking um, in my teenage years and later in my university years, I found that it didn't mean that I didn't hang out with my friends or go to parties, but I would avoid the negative effects of alcohol in my life. And I definitely saved some money doing so. The, the church encourages everyone to question what we believe through study and prayer and to find out for yourself whether the doctrines are true. So at the age of 15, I went to a week-long youth camp, and there I was given the direct invitation to pray to God to know whether what we were being taught was true. I remember going to my room and reading a portion of the Book of Mormon, and then kneeling in prayer, asking whether the book was indeed of God and the doctrines in it true principles. I stayed on my knees for a while after that prayer, hoping for some kind of response from God. And I remember receiving words in my mind as an impression, you already know. And I felt a real peace. I did already believe that it was true. And I believe that that impression at that time came to me through God's messenger, the Holy Ghost. In times later in my life, when I've had questions about a particular point of doctrine, I think back to that experience. And I knew then, and I know now, that what I've been taught is good and true. So in our church, we place emphasis on sharing the joy and truth we feel with everybody. And as such, it's seen as a duty for boys to go on a mission, and it's also strongly encouraged for girls. A mission is an 18-month to two-year time period where you put your life on hold and you go and share the gospel and serve people in a location anywhere around the world that's assigned to you by prophets and apostles. There are about 54,000 full-time missionaries in the world right now. So when I finished high school, I was 18 and I decided I wanted to serve a mission. I filled in various forms and I sent them off to church headquarters. And a few weeks later, I received a letter assigning me to serve in Chile. Um, my good friend Cesar is on the call today. I received two months of language and teaching training in America. And then I went to a mission in Viña del Mar, Chile, which included around 200 other missionaries. Before I went on my mission, I believed what I had been taught was true. But my faith was greatly strengthened during my two years of service as I shared my faith with others and invited them to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. So moving on to how I live my religion in secular spaces, when I returned from my mission, there was a difficult period of adjustment back to normal life. For two years, I focused on teaching the gospel and living my religion as best as I could with very few other cares and largely surrounded by missionaries of my own faith. When I came home, I had to start thinking about work and study and interacting with my family and friends. And it took me a while to settle back in. I learned then how to live what I believed, but in the context of normal everyday life. I began my first mission life 
by studying a business management degree at the University of Birmingham, as has been mentioned, after which I began working at the Royal Shakespeare Company as a fundraiser and later at Hampstead Theatre. Amongst theatre professionals, I found that I was in a minority in having strong religious beliefs. I would regularly get questions on my views on the Book of Mormon musical, uh, and I used the, this as an opportunity to share my faith, feeling that in general these questions were coming from a place of real genuine curiosity. At one time, a theatre that I was working for was considering putting on a play with Jesus as a central character alongside his disciples. I was encouraged to read the script, and having done so, I felt uncomfortable about the material and how it portrayed scriptural figures that I revere. My boss was incredibly supportive and assured me that I would not be asked to work on events or other interaction points around the play, which I was so grateful for. When it was decided ultimately not to produce the show, I was again really grateful, but I know that my colleagues would have been just as respectful if the play had been staged. In my current profession, I'm a trainee chartered accountant, and I find that expressing my faith has brought respect and sincere questions. My firm is clear that faith is a key part of our diversity and inclusion initiatives, and I'm scheduled to give a firm-wide talk on my faith later in the year. The skills and experiences I've developed due to my faith have also been recognized when I've applied for internal positions. In a recent interview, the interviewer picked up on my mission experience on my CV, and it was clear to them how the experiences and skills that I gained in a religious context, like being able to manage my time, set goals, speak a foreign language, would be highly valuable in the workplace. So to conclude, my faith journey has taught me some very important lessons. A key one is that it's a beautiful thing to continue with the faith that I was taught as a child into my adult life. Not everybody has to make a change to their beliefs when they're older. But with that said, I don't believe that we should follow a religion purely because we're told to do so. I firmly believe that everyone is entitled to the opportunity to learn about their religion and other religions and events such as this for themselves. And no one should be deprived the opportunity of visiting and learning from places of worship, which might not be of their own faith, sect or denomination. I also believe that there's a strength in being true to ourselves and sharing our faith in workplaces and other secular places. I believe that exploration and sincere questioning can lead us to confirm our long-held beliefs or perhaps find new ones in which we can ultimately have a real sense of belonging and joy. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us, um, Jonathan. And we look forward to um, interacting with you and everyone else who's on, on the chat to get involved, post any comments you have for um, Jonathan in the chat box so then we can interact and we can question later. Um, yeah, I mean, I've written down so, so many wonderful things about what you said and um, I've already got lots of questions for you. Um, so we're going to move on to Zane. And before we move on to Zane Hussein, um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Zane. Now, Zane is a graduate of the Faith and Belief Forums UN award-winning parliamentals program, which gives university students the opportunity to work on social action projects and develop leadership skills under the mentorship of a member of parliament. He has previously worked as a Quaker peace and social witness worker placed with a nuclear disarmament think tank. Zane currently works for an environmental, social and government rating agency as a specialised research analyst focusing on controversial weapons reduction. Zane has a BA in Arabic and Hebrew an MSc in international politics and is also active in interfaith dialogue, teaching Hebrew at a Jewish Sunday school and organizing interfaith student exchanges between the synagogue and a mosque. Zane, we're absolutely excited to hear from you and over to you. Okay, great, I can unmute. Thank you um, for having me to speak today at this open iftar and thank you, Jonathan, for an amazing um, talk about your faith journey. Um, so like a lot of people here, I am a UK born Muslim who has dealt with the experiences and challenges that come with growing up in the UK as a Muslim. I was born and raised in a somewhat conservative Sufi Sunni Muslim family and interfaith dialogue was something I had been seeing and experiencing in some form or another for a long time as I was growing up, particularly given the post 9-11 context I was being raised in. I studied Arabic and Hebrew at university, which opened the doors for more interfaith interests and activities. 
It also made me more aware of issues I did not concern myself with as much before, but were nevertheless discussed within Muslim spaces. My first two years in university were a time where I put everything up to question, including matters relating to faith and political ideas I had taken for granted until that age. My time in Jerusalem studying for my year abroad was very formative for me in that it gave me a greater understanding of how structural racism works. In addition to very active and violent forms of racism against Palestinians, for example, it made me aware of how projects um, supposedly aimed at peacemaking can often mask oppressive practices and marginalization and can obscure asymmetric or unequal relations between different people and communities. While life in the UK at home was very, very different, I couldn't help but see some parallels in terms of Islamophobia and racism and how a lot of interfaith and community cohesion initiatives, which really gained momentum after 9-11, were often more, more centered around the development of performative citizenship, showing you're a good citizen, rather than true solidarity among different people to deal with real structural and social problems, and even the structural factors, for example, affecting radicalization and extremism. After my year abroad, I started teaching Hebrew at a Jewish Sunday school in a synagogue, something which I continue to do now. I became much more interested in interfaith dialogue between Jews and Muslims and questions of structural forms of racism and Islamophobia and the different ways in which anti-Semitism manifests itself today. I was asked to share some of my thoughts regarding faith in public space. The experiences that I have shared with you started to make me think about how to reconceive for myself what my relationship as a Muslim should be to public spaces in the UK and Europe. What exactly should be my relationship to non-Muslims? How can I engage in meaningful interfaith dialogue about how we should all be getting along in a time where Islamophobia is becoming more acceptable across Europe? with, for example, Austria, Switzerland, France, and Germany enacting or attempting to enact legislation limiting the expression of public Muslim religious identity. How can we deal with interfaith dialogue in this post 9-11 context so that we as Muslims can also examine for ourselves how we have been deeply affected by a performative way of being? And how can we move forward meaningfully when it comes to engagement between different communities? These were just some of the questions that have appeared in my mind and I'm still asking now. One comment that I do want to make is that whether or not we are religious or practicing and however we decide to define ourselves as um, ourselves, as diaspora Muslims, Islam plays a role in how a lot of us identify ourselves. With this inevitably comes a performative aspect of how we carry ourselves in European societies, including in the UK. This is especially true when we consider the role Islamophobia plays in media coverage on Muslims, in political discussions about Muslims and policies towards Muslim communities, including those relating to security and integration. Muslims find different ways to relate to their faith in the public space or in non-Muslim societies. For me, there have always been interesting questions on how to apply different aspects of Islamic practice to real life situations. Being raised in London still gave me a sense of belonging and understanding alongside some other Muslims. However, as I look today to the UK and continental Europe, I see unfortunate examples of Muslims being shamed into limiting their public expression of Islamic identity, particularly in the guise of secularism rhetoric. At times, for example, in France and Belgium, where I'm currently situated, Women in hijabs find it hard to be hired and sometimes face problems graduating from universities. Muslim men and women are racialized as particularly threatening subjects and legislation is being discussed in France to limit women under 18 from wearing the hijab. This comes together with Muslims being essentialized as problematic communities prone to radicalization and extremism. Such essentializing only serves to make, to make problems like radicalization and extremism foreign problems and doesn't see them as problems that are also rooted in the society and context that we're living in right now and the structural problems that often make them worse. The forming of Muslim self-identities in such hostile contexts cannot be separated from policies and attitudes towards Muslims. In addition to all of this, 
and alongside everyone else, also pushed to prize above everything, sometimes even to the detriment of our own mental and physical health. Many of us who are fasting today will be witnesses to this, as we find ourselves having to achieve the same targets and rates of production with a limited amount of energy and capacity. Ramadan burnout is a real thing, and we should be talking about it if we have the energy to do so. Imposter syndrome is also a real problem, as some of us find ourselves questioning our own abilities and talents as we attempt, as we attempt to fit ourselves excruciatingly into the larger systems of productivity. This can and does affect our spiritual well-being too, as time for prayer, self-reflection and self-care becomes very limited. So, to conclude, for many of us, we have to deal with Islamophobia, structural forms of racism, overproductivity, spiritual dampening, and burnout. For those who are at odds with aspects of their Muslim communal life, this can be even harder to deal with. I hope we take some time and energy, little as we have them, to open up to each other really feeling and how we are really being affected and also how we can deal with our problems together as Muslims and as allies. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Zane. Absolutely fantastic. It's been great to hear from all of you, from Rachel, from Jonathan, and from yourself, of course, Zane. What I'm going to do is just first of all, unmute you, um, Jane and Jonathan, so we can have some dialogue and some conversation. Um, so Rachel, um, starting off with your parliamentals programme. Yeah, really, really exciting. Um, what sort of caused you to, or what led you to create this programme? And um, also what sort of projects have um, your students worked on in the, in the parliamentals programme? And you spoke about they've had impact. So we'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Um, actually, if it'd be possible actually to shift it to someone else on my team uh, who's in this Perfect. call, um, either Jess or Siobhan, if either of you would, because I'm actually pretty new to the parliamentarist team. <laughs> Okay, so who, who um, so whilst we get, get on, who are we waiting to? Uh, either Jess or Siobhan. Um, okay, Jess or Siobhan, if you could message myself. There, yeah, Jess is, uh, Jessica Hazrati there. Um, so we can unmute you if you want to. Um, so whilst we do that, we'll move on to the next question. Um, what has um, surprised you most when dealing when, uh, with people of different faiths when they meet other people of different faiths for the first time, you know, there must be so many preconceptions there and misconceptions there. So, you know, or maybe none. So what surprised you most? Um, that's to all of you because you all work at the Faith and Belief Forum. So should we have you, Jonathan? Um, I think if you, if you talk about kind of misconceptions and um, I, I come from a faith where people often misconstrued that we still practice polygamy, which was um, a, a practice that, uh, was part of the early church, um, but we haven't practiced for 150, 160 years. Um, and I'm sure that um, there are other faiths that, that deal with those kind of misconceptions. And so I, I feel like I often have to help people to get back to the core um, of my faith and my religion, which isn't those strange doctrines that people might find um, in different places and the core of it is the belief in Jesus Christ and being a good person um, and caring for others and looking out for others. Um, so I think that's kind of really key to make sure that we bring people back to our commonality and what makes us good rather than looking for the weird, weird differences that we might have. Absolutely. And when you do find um, people um, sort of interacting for the first time with people from a different faith to them, um, Zane, um, I'll be going coming on to your work as well shortly. Um, you know, what experiences have you had, um, or yourself, Rachel? Is it anything they're embracing, or they're looking forward to embracing, or is there like a degree of reluctance there? You know, what sort of challenges do you face? And I've also heard from Jessica, so we'll go over to her afterwards. Um, sorry, who's being asked, me or Rachel? Oh, should we go? Okay, so I don't mind mentioning some things. I mean, obviously, when I was talking, I mentioned a lot of kind of how Muslims are treated in a lot of ways, and that also comes from a lot of misconceptions when it's not like a top-down mistreatment. But also, interestingly, as a teacher at a Jewish Sunday school and me telling non-Jews about the work that I do, um, 
<laughs> they often assume I know, I'm an expert in Judaism. I mean, I always try to get rid of some misconceptions as best as possible, but, you know, I also remind them that, you know, I'm in that space as a non-Jew as well. So um, that's also very interesting. And um, some people really have strange ideas, as they do about Muslims, as, about Jews as well. Really, it's, um, it's interesting to kind of see how they react when you tell them something different. Thank you. That really um, links really nicely to the question I had um, ready for you anyway. So what challenges have you faced as a Muslim willing to immerse yourself um, in interfaith work and learning Hebrew and working at Jewish um, Sunday school you know, from both Muslim, Jewish or maybe other faith communities? Um, so, you know, it's uh, it can be quite challenging in the sense that um, when, when you enter a space, and this is why I mentioned performativity quite a lot in what I'm saying, people assume, um, people assume that you will think in a certain way or that you will have a certain way of thinking. And when you show them that you have maybe a lot more nuance or that you don't agree with them on, on everything, they can be quite surprised sometimes. Um, so I found this working within Jewish spaces and also within telling, you know, relaying my work back to Muslim spaces and talking to my Muslim friends and people that I know about my work in the synagogue. So it's, and, and also I, I feel like some people are surprised that I'm a religious Muslim. I think that's also something that um, I have to explain from time to time. Anti-Semitism and Islamophobia do come up, um, often unintentionally. Um, and I also feel that as a Muslim, who is working within Jewish spaces, sometimes I felt, sometimes I felt a little bit tokenized. Um, and sometimes I would appreciate that wherever people are, that they're appreciated for the complexity of their views and the context from which they're coming from, whoever they are. So that's, that's also another challenge I've had. Uh, from, from, from other challenges, of course. There's, there's lots of other things I can talk about, but I'm talking about my experiences here in the UK and yeah. Have you faced any challenges from the Muslim community? You've spoken about um, anti-Semitism and you've also spoken about Islamophobia and being you know, sort of seen as perhaps clinical of knowledge when you're still learning. Um, have you faced any opposition um, from, you know, people of your faith? I have to say very limited. I think, <laughs> you know, to be honest, um, less than you would, you might think. There, not so much hostility as much as there is curiosity and some people just laugh in your face so <laughs> because for them it's quite funny or they're not used to the concept or um but but more than anything the questions about me about where i stand on different things on issues about um what i exactly do in the synagogue about how the synagogue views me as a muslim you know these sorts of things as well you know not not much opposition to be honest yeah, I, 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 I get exactly where you're coming from. I often work in um, areas where I might be the only Muslim that person has ever met. And um, it's, I always think of myself, you know, as being represented for my, for my faith as well. And to make sure, I mean, I believe all faith is important and interfaith dialogue is so, so important. And, you know, a key tenet of my faith is to um, respect everyone else's faith and acknowledge them. You know, we're still... You know, if all praying to one God, as it were. Um, so that actually, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts, Zane. We're going to come back to you shortly. Now we have a question from Jonathan that was posted in the chat. So we're going to come to that shortly. Um, also, we'd love to hear from everyone. Do keep posting your questions in the chat box so we can ask them to Jonathan and Rachel and Zane. And we have um, Jessica, I believe, who's just who I'm just going to try and find and unmute. Here you are, Jessica. Hi. Uh, yeah. Hi, I think there was a question about the parliamentals programme. Yeah, so the um, question was about what sorts of projects that you've worked on and on the parliamentals programme and um, that they've had. And, you know, how can, you know, students even now, how, and any students who, you know, joining us today, how can they get involved? Yes, yeah. So, um, yeah, the parliamentals programme, it's quite unique, I would say. Um, it's an interfaith programme, but there's also other elements. So social action is a key feature of the project and also uh, mentoring by a local MP um, and the aim is we bring together five students from 
10 universities across the UK from Manchester, we've got two in London, some in Coventry and Birmingham. Um, and the five students come together to think about local issues in their communities, but also on campus um, and how they can respond to that and work together. Um, and I guess through that, they develop interfaith skills and um, the teams are made up from people from different faiths. So sometimes the interfaith aspect isn't the kind of core reason why people get involved. They might be interested in political leadership or social action, but it, yeah, interfaith is there in, built into the project as well, which is really nice. And I think that's really important to engage young people in interfaith. I think quite often um, it's quite hard to engage young people. Um, and some of my favourite projects that I've seen um, across them, SOAS University did um, a project where they linked law students with newly arrived refugees um, and had a kind of, um, I guess that, yeah, they linked them for advice around legal. Um, so they had a drop-in centre basically for people and that was really successful and the university actually took it on as part of their law course that they offered to students. Um, and another fun one from Coventry University was they built a community garden um, in a local estate. So students went out into a local area of Coventry and they made an allotment community garden. And then they got their MP. I remember it was Chris Cotton MP and he was like planting potatoes and they did a whole kind of social media campaign around that, which was really fun. Um, so yeah, lots of creative ideas um, and yeah, friendships that have lasted for the 10 years that it's been going on, which is really great. That's fantastic, planting potatoes. Yeah, that's great. And because you're right, the more we work together, you know, having a, a common focus is a great point, um, a touch point for us to unite and to have conversations and learn from each other, most importantly. Um, Jonathan, I'm going to move on to a question that we had for you that was posted um, in the chat box, which is from Raheem. Um, so your interview reacted positively to your missionary experience, but have you ever received any more skeptical or negative responses and how do you respond uh, to them? And I'd also be quite interested to know, you know hear from Rachel as well, because I haven't heard much from you um, on, on the same question. So first of all, you, Jonathan. Um, it's a great question. Um, I think, um, I, th I think being a, a white a white British man in the UK, um, I can kind of hide my religion. I think if I wanted to, if that makes sense, I, um, you know, people don't necessarily assume I'm religious because of the way I look, and I think that that isn't true for everybody. Um, and therefore, I I feel like I don't have to explain myself as much as I feel like other people who may. Um, who people might perceive to be religious just because of the way they look, which is not necessarily true. Um, but I haven't had those kind of same interactions. But I definitely, there, there was a time where uh, a colleague of mine had gone to see the Book of Mormon musical um, and was asking me quite inappropriate questions um, about uh, elements of the show um, and that were very personal to me and were very... Um, very kind of disparaging about people that I have great respect for, so prophets or other people um, that are portrayed in the show. Um, and I, but I think in general, people might ask those questions not realizing the disrespect that it is causing. And that if you explain to them, hold on a second, you're asking me about something that's highly personal. In this case, it was um, religious clothing that I wear that is underneath my main clothing. Um, and I just pointed out to my colleague, hang on a second, you're asking me about my my personal clothing here. Um, and that's not necessarily appropriate in a workplace. Um, and so I think if we, if our default reaction is that people don't, don't, and aren't looking to be negative, um, then I think you can normally talk people down. And certainly that's been my experience. I've been blessed not to have experiences where people have been really negative towards my religion. Thank you, um, thank you Jonathan, for sharing your experience. And uh, Rachel, how about yourself? Um, um, yeah, in terms of if I've, I've gotten negative reactions uh, from let's say my community or doing this kind of work, I would say in terms of being involved in a lot of interfaith work, I don't get negative 
um, responses from the Jewish community as much as I get people just being kind of shocked or scared on my behalf. Um, the most common thing that I'll hear is people saying, oh, do they know that you're Jewish? Like, do you change your name on the Zoom calls so that they you can like hide your identity or um, like, yeah, do what kinds of like everyone just a lot of people from my community uh, just think that the world is kind of out to get them. So then it's sort of like um, I'm throwing myself into an unsafe space. And that's actually why it's just incredibly like wonderful and gratifying when I can come back and say no it's 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 great people are so curious to learn about my background I get a lot of people talking about wow you do that in your in your community we do something similar or tell me more um, so as Jonathan was saying I think by and large um, most of the experiences and most most people who are doing this work are really coming from a good place um, and that's actually just it's been yeah, really, really, because having been brought up in that community, those were my assumptions as well, that it's um, a dangerous thing to leave the community. And every time that I'm disproven, um, and then I get to tell my community that I, it's actually not as scary as we think it is sometimes, um, that's a really positive thing. And um, from, from a work point of view, so um, John's was saying, you know, expressing his work to um, his faith to an interviewer, um, you know, have you ever faced any challenges um, from a work point of view? And if so, what, um, how did you overcome that? And, you know, what can we do to um, overcome that bias based on, you know, somebody's name and their, as an expression of their religious identity? Hmm. Um, I'm very happy to say that I don't experience any, yeah, um, discrimination in the workplace. It'd be very unfortunate considering that I work at an interfaith charity. Um, but in the right, past- uh, In the past, obviously yeah. not, not, not with your son now. <laughs> um. Um, in the past, I would say, yeah, it's mostly that a lot of people, the second that I say that I'm Jewish, a lot of people, or even if I don't say it and they can see from my name, um, uh, just have animo animosity towards me on the basis of assumptions about my political beliefs about Israel-Palestine. Um, which is a very difficult thing to kind of get past with a lot of people. You have to make a lot of disclaimers about what you do or do not believe um, before being able to like, you know, be accepted as who you are, I think. Yeah. So I've definitely just tiring. That. Yeah, justifying yourself to like, you know, the views of the media and saying, you know, that, that, that doesn't reflect, yeah, your face at all. Yeah, exactly. The, I'm, I'm not the Israeli government. <laughs> I, 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 I hear you on that one. Um, it's sad that people do have, you know, all these misconceptions um, when it does come to faith. And um, we're, we're moving on. We've got some uh, other questions. We've got a couple for you, Zane. Um, so maybe you can, actually, the first one is for you alone, and the next one we can open it up. So Rhiannon asks, um, can you tell me more about your work with Quaker Peace and Social Witness? Please. Yeah, there we are. I'm unmuting myself. Um, thanks, Rhiannon, for your question. I actually was, actually for me, the Quaker experience was um, quite formative because it gave me a real headway into the work that I'm doing now. And so thanks to the Quakers for that experience. I was placed by um, um, Quaker Society of Friends um, to work with a nuclear disarmament think tank, British American Security Information Council. Um, and to help them with their work in nuclear disarmament and um, working on also a weapons of mass destruction disarmament project that they're working on in um, in the Middle East in the Middle East as well, or at least they've been involved in in the in the past, and um, that also involves talking about nuclear weapons in the Middle East as well, and. Um, Yes, so that was a really good experience for me in, in a lot of ways because it made me really think about what I want to do independently and also made me, you know, because I was coming from an interfaith background, what I was doing outside of university was mostly interfaith work and I wanted to experience something different and I realized actually a lot of things are also similar. Um, interfaith skills are also needed when it comes to higher level um, dialogue, dialogue and understanding even more um, complex security um, problems today as well. So that's something which I don't think a lot of people understand. And I'm really glad that I was able to have that understanding through the work. Um, so yeah, so that's a little bit about what I do in terms of, oh, sorry, about my experience in terms of 
QPSW. Sorry, Ramadan brain is kicking in. Yeah, um, I, I, I would also love to, um, one thing you did mention was Ramadan burnout. And I know we have fasting across the different faiths. And um, I'm t I, I've only got six minutes left, so I'm, I'm, I'm torn for time because I have like so many questions for you guys. But um, I think is let's go to Ramadan and, you know, uh, Ramadan burnout or, you know, um, fasting burnout. So just how your experiences of that are, because we live in a society also where faith is portrayed in certain ways. And um, yeah, I'd be intrigued to hear from you, Zane, and also from you, Rachel and Jonathan, and maybe just a brief comment from all of you, please. Hold on, Zane. I've gotten the permission to unmute. Okay, so Ramadan burnout for me is a real thing. And, um, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not in the UK at the moment, but I'm in Belgium. So I am in within continental Europe where the discussions around faith are different, uh, around Islam are different, also laced with a lot of Islamophobia, but also there is just this general um, pressure of secularity within the public space, laicite, you know, not mixing religion and public space too much. In Belgium, it's not, as big of an issue as it is in France. And so, you know, having the discussion with uh, your employer or with some, somebody in the workplace about how Ramadan can be, um, can be a difficult time in terms of achieving usual production targets is a difficult conversation to have, not just because you're a little bit ashamed to talk about how you might not be as productive as usual, but because Islam is there as part of that conversation. So yeah, I mean, maybe in the, possibly if I were in London, it would have been easier. I am finding that I've, I, as the more I talk about it, the more people are listening over here as well. But um, generally speaking, I would say there is that pressure for Muslims to hush, you know? <laughs> I mean, I can always um, assert myself as someone who's also British Muslim and say, look, you know, this is what I'm used to, but um, not everybody, Everybody has different experiences and their workplaces are different here. So it's very, it's very important. One, one thing I'll mention before we go on, um, you know, whoever you're working with has to have different experiences. And just because your Muslim colleagues are not talking to you about whatever Islamophobia they're going through, what their manager has told them, whatever they're experiencing, doesn't mean they're not experiencing it. It just means that they're in an environment where they're too worried to talk about these things. And that doesn't just go for Muslims, of course. Thank um, you. Uh, and if I, if I can kind of, uh, so um, Zane, and, Zane and I met um, a couple of days ago in preparation for this event, and he was talking about um, Ramadan burnout. And it's something that I had just never considered. And I'm kind of ashamed to think that actually. Um, in, as, as a religion, um, we fast once a month on a Sunday, uh, the first Sunday of every month for a 24 hour period. Um, and that is in no way the same as Ramadan when you're doing it for such a prolonged period of time. But as I heard Zane talking about Ramadan burnout, I thought, well, I know what it feels like to go one day a month without food and how cranky and how that affects me physically. And I need to have more empathy for my Muslim colleagues, which I, I didn't realize I could relate to until somebody shared that with me. And I'm so grateful for Zane for speaking up and, and having that dialogue. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. And Rachel, uh, what about yourself? And also just, you know, as a final wrap up, um, after you've um, asked the question, Rachel, just um, a final reflection and um, on how we can make faith and in faith dialogue um, just more accessible, how we can get, you know, the conversation going, get the conversation moving and get everyone engaged. So and then I'll have I'll open that up to Zane and Jonathan and then I'm going to meet you now in advance. Right. Yeah, um, it's really interesting. I guess my answer to both of the questions is kind of similar, which is that I, I honestly hadn't really thought about all of the different times in university um, or at, even at work that I, especially in university, where I had exams due on Yom Kippur or like in the middle of holidays where I really needed to be in synagogue. And I just always, or where I was I was doing a program and um, like they, they were very, not accommodating at all when I was trying to keep Passover. Um, and they sort of made me feel like I was being very picky. And so I really felt like I was being very picky and that it was like me just being, you know, making everyone else's lives harder. 
Um, and it was kind of, it's actually, yeah, just in the last 20 minutes, I've been like, oh, you know what? Like, it, wouldn't it have been nice if I didn't feel that it was like I was imposing on everyone else? Um, so I guess the beginning thing is having these kinds of conversations and realizing that it's not an imposition and that other people experience similar things. Um, and yeah, so I'm, I'm really grateful for this opportunity and it's definitely made me feel more comfortable also reflecting on how my own faith, um, how I, I would how I would like to feel more comfortable and free practicing it. And most of all, how I'd like other people to feel more free and comfortable practicing their faiths. So thank Rachel. you. Rachel, over to you, Jonathan. Um, again, being able to share my faith in interfaith spaces and non-secular spaces, I've always found actually has been such a positive thing. Um, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to share with you all tonight and, and just grateful to be in a, an environment that I wouldn't normally get to be in. And I feel like I learned so much from all of you. So thank you. Thank you so much. And finally, over to you, Zane, and then we'll have a moment of pause and then go to Abel at 8.33. Yeah, so thank you um, for this opportunity as well to speak about my experiences and also for me to talk about Islamophobia and to talk about um, these issues that really matter to me and to a lot of us as Muslims as well, including Ramadan burnout, structural racism, these kinds of issues that are really important to bring to bring to the fore, especially in interfaith dialogue spaces where sometimes these things can get pushed to the background. So, you know, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so much to our speakers today. We're now going to go to Arvan. So um, we're joining at the other end for a final thanks. Um, I would say thank you so much everyone for joining us today. I would love to give a big thank you to our speakers today from the Faith and Belief Forum. We've had Jonathan Mace, Rachel Cohn and Zane Hussain sharing their stories in this very inspiring event. And it's been a pleasure for all the audience who have joined us today. And I just would like to say a big thank you once again to Islam Channel, our media partner for this year, and also to the Arts Council UK for making this event possible. You can read more about how we are fighting world hunger at, with Islamic Relief at iruk.co forward slash RTP. Ramadan is a month of charity and giving, and we'd love to please, please encourage you to support our initiative this Ramadan and to support the Ramadan project so that we can continue our work. Your support, your support is vital to keeping us going as the world transitions to normality and to keeping events going such as our open iftars and our sunnah fasts and our other events. You can donate on our website at ramdantentproject.com or on our launch good at launchgood.com forward slash RTP 2021. And um, just thank you once again. And we're here every night during Ramadan. We only have a few months of Ramadan, a few days even of Ramadan left and to make them the most of and join us every day for the remainder of the month. And um, Salam Aleikum from me. Thank you so much to our guests and we'll see you inshallah tomorrow. Bye-bye.